how do you say everything that you want to say to someone not knowing if you'll ever see them again? The answer is obviously that you can't. That there's, there's no way that you could encapsulate all that you mean to express about how someone has meant to you. Uh, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't at least try, right? And, and how would you even go about doing this monumental task? I'm obviously reflecting on this question because the shot clock has now begun for Paige and I here in Charleston. And as I wrestle with this, and maybe some of you have had when you've faced with a move or when you have left connections, a place that you've rooted and called home, a place that's meant so much to you, it, there's this difficulty of knowing how to adequately express what this means for us, for you, for all of us in our lives. And, and so why do we feel like this? Why is it hard to say goodbye to yesterday, as that old boys to men song right, says, right? Um, and, and does the Bible actually have anything here that can ground us in something greater, some, something better? The answer, of course, is yes. Scripture is sufficient, and it gives us great tools to be able to understand all of these emotions. But, but more importantly, see something better on the other side of these feelings of longing, of scarcity, of feeling of missing at others. Uh, it gives us better things. Two things that I wish to talk about in our next two weeks together. Gratitude and joy. And that's where we'll be spending our time. And so we're going to look at this in, in the book of Philippians in the church of Philippi, and how the Apostle Paul expresses his gratitude and joy in the gospel for this church. So, so turn your Bibles with me to the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. This is on page 980 if you have our pew Bibles in front of you. Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. And, and as you turn there, let's all stand as we read God's word together. Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray together. Father, Lord, help us as the church press forward together in the progress of the gospel. Help us to see our friendships in the gospel as more than just useful, but one of mutual joy and gratitude for the way the Spirit of God works in each of us. Let us be the community of those who seek gratitude and joy together for the glory of your great name. In your Son's name we pray these things. Amen. You may be seated. 
So in looking at our text here today, uh, we begin by asking this question of how would you define friendship? How would you define friendship? What are its parts? What composes a good friend? You know, so if you had a, a laboratory where you could sort of construct the perfect friend, what, what would that person do and what would that person look like? You see, back in Paul's day, Greek philosophy was the worldview that dominated everything. And one of its greatest philosophers, uh, Aristotle, wrote about three different kinds of friendship. There were friends based upon a need, right? So you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. There, there were friendships based on uh, sort of pleasure of similar interests, right? And then there was this third category, which Aristotle called the ideal friendship. This was a virtuous friendship that was based upon a real trust and love between two individuals. So coupled with this idea and philosophy of the ideal friendship came along with that time in that period where Paul is writing this letter, this new genre called the letter of friendship. You got to remember back in Paul's day, letter writing was not something that anyone could do. It was expensive. You had to have parchment and ink. It was risky. You didn't even know if your letter would make it to the recipient. So the genre of writing a letter to a friend was actually a very high honor. And it came with certain expectations of what this letter should look like. So you were to greet yourself. You were to share your status. You were to ask about their status. You were to talk about people you both knew, give your best wishes to third parties, and, and then wish them well. And, and Paul knew all of these things. The sort of milieu of the day of what friendship was about in this letter genre of friendship. And as a highly trained scholar, he pens this letter of friendship to a church in Philippi with all of the things that one would expect from the culture, but he flips it on its head. And in doing so, he shows us the true end of friendship, the real goal of our relationships. And so we're going to talk about the different kind of friendship that Paul wishes to discuss here today in three ways. One, the gratitude of friendship, two, the joy of friendship, and three, the goal of friendship. So one, the gratitude of friendship, two, the joy of friendship, and three, the goal of friendship. So first, uh, the gratitude of friendship. Now, if you've ever read a letter from the Apostle Paul, you will see that the beginning of Philippians is highly unusual compared to his other letters. Uh, typically, Paul uses this greeting section in the first couple of verses of his letters to state his position and his authority in the life of the church. In other letters of Paul, you'll see that he calls himself the apostle, right? This, this guy who, who's in this position, this anointed position to state what he's going to claim next. Now, you have to ask yourself, why does Paul want to call himself an apostle at the beginning of these letters? Why does he do this? Well, because he's about to do one of two things. One, he's about to yell at them, right? He's about to, like, rebuke them for what they're going to do. And, like, if you've ever read 1 and 2 Corinthians, right? Yeah, he's, he's asserting his, his, his role as an apostle because he's, he's trying to tell them, you're messing up the gospel. Stop doing that. Uh, or in the case of his letters to the Romans, he's asserting his status as an apostle because he's about to convince them of something theological, there's, there's something defunct in their understanding of the gospel. And so Paul is saying, I'm an apostle. I, I want to show you what the true gospel is all about. But here, in this letter in Philippians, there's no mention of him as an apostle. It's very intentional, right? And why does he do this? Why does, is this so unique? You see, th this is only one of three places where Paul does this. In his letters to the Thessalonians and to Philemon, 
are the only other three examples of this, and this is for good reason. You see, he's writing to the Philippian church not as Paul the authority figure, but rather Paul as the servant of Jesus Christ and a dear friend. The letter to the Philippians isn't there for their admonishment. He's not trying to convince them of some theological truth that they're having a hard time grasping. He's just speaking as a friend who is serving Christ with other friends. He could, to be sure, lord over his position and status, but rather what he's doing is instead he's choosing the route of humility. He's calling himself a slave to Jesus Christ because that's what true gratitude and friendship looks like. You see, Gratitude and friendship isn't about stating your position over someone else. It's not stating where you stand above them, all right? His, 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 his gratitude in friendship is we're, we're alongside each other for the gospel, working together in partnership. This gratitude comes and expresses itself in two forms, uh, in thanksgiving and in prayer. So gratitude and thanksgiving and gratitude in prayer. So let's talk about thanksgiving for a second here. He, Paul expresses his thanksgiving to the Philippian church because he remembers them. He remembers them. And that he's thankful to God that they are a memory in his life. I, we want you to overlook what's happening here in this verse. You see, true gratitude is ultimately about a God-glorifying act. The memories that we hold dear of the people in our lives are not just of our own to hold on to, the memories of people in our life that God has given to us are there to praise God, that we are have this blessing to be in their lives to begin with, that blessing to know them. You probably have someone in your mind when you get to think about the people that you feel blessed and lucky to get to know. Those people that when you think about them, you just can't help but smile because they hold a special place of joy as you go through the memories of life. They were with you through the victories and the valleys. These are special people that make you want to worship Jesus more because of the way that they live. These are the people that you know in your life that God is going to use to do great things, just as Paul knew that God was going to use the Philippian church. You know, in high school, I had a friend who was uh, an incredible, ex exceptional piano player, um, and, and, you know, even before this guy got into high school, he was invited to play, you know, Gershwin's Piano Concerto with a well-known symphony orchestra. By the time he actually got into high school, he was already playing with some of the best well-known acts in jazz. Uh, and so when you heard him play, you could tell there was just so, something so special about him. And just listening to him play felt like it was just an honor to be in the same room listening to him. It was, it was special knowing him. And it was a special that he knew you and that he would even use his gift to play your favorite songs on a whim's notice. This is kind of how I believe that the church ought to think about one another. That we see each other in a way that reflects the beauty of the glory of God working in and through every single person here in this room. You don't have to be this special jazz musician to be able to be, feel this way or to be felt that way by others. Nor do you have to feel that your gift is, has to be something so special to always wow people in a room. No, the beauty of God's creation of you as a person made in his image is that you bring something to this church that makes this community stronger, better, more complete because you are here. That even when you can't see the work of Christ in your life, even when you can't see how the Lord sees you now, the church 
rallies around you. The church helps you to see you as God sees you. The church helps you to realize, just as Paul had the bold confidence to say in verse 6, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. Paul states this because of his gratitude of thankfulness for them, and he wants them to press forward, to persevere. Thankfulness is just this overflowing expression of what it means to partner in sharing the good news of the gospel together. You see, that's why gratitude and thankfulness is more than just saying thank you to an individual, but thanks to God for bringing that person in your life to work towards a higher purpose. Not just simply fulfilling one's needs or the fact that you are of the same affinity group, but the purpose of friendship, the purpose of Paul's gratitude, the purpose of our gratitude is actually that friendship is made simply more than just the people in the friendship. Paul's gratitude is that friendship would exhibit God's character and love for us, and in doing so, glorify God through your friendship, that God's name would be made great because you were friends together. And this is what leads Paul to true gratitude in prayer. This is the second part of gratitude. He prays with gratitude because of their influence on his life, and he prays with gratitude for them, that the love that he experienced in the community of faith would only continue to grow more and more as time progresses. And that is, by the way, a very natural connection for the believer. Think about this. You pray for the people in your life that matter the most to you. Right? Not in any kind of judgmental way, but this also means that if you're only praying for yourself, that's who matters most to you, right? You pray for your needs and their needs as you would your own. You pray for their faith to grow. You pray for them to reject sin. You feel the weight of their struggles and victories in them in prayer. For the Christian, gratitude naturally expresses itself out in prayer to God. Prayer is a sign that a friendship is alive and working. It's a way to express love in the most unselfish of ways because in prayer, you don't stand to really gain anything when you pray for others, but you're praying for the betterment of others. When you're praying for others in your secret room, right, or your, your bed or your nightside, you, you're doing something that no one can see. No one knows that you're praying for them. It's the most unselfish of things to do for your friends in the gospel. So do you long for stronger friendships. Pray together. Ask them how you could be praying for them. Do you long for stronger marriages? Pray for each other before you go to bed and when you wake up for breakfast. Do you long for stronger community in the church? Pray that the church would come alive and see the way that God binds hearts and minds of people together while we pray. For Paul, gratitude comes through thanksgiving and prayer for the glory of God. And so should we do the same for each other. So gratitude of friendship is a central theme through this text here today. But, but so is our second point, which is the joy of friendship. The joy of friendship. And for, for Paul, to understand joy is to actually understand suffering. You must remember here in its context, Paul is in prison for the gospel. That's the situation of this letter. He, he's gone from city to city for the gospel and faced numerous persecutions, beatings, shipwrecks, personal, emotional, spiritual pain, the thorn in his flesh. And so you have to ask yourself, what would enable a person who has gone through this much suffering on his own to continue to embrace the work ahead of him like this? What, what would make a lifestyle such as this worth it for Paul? For Paul, 
in this text here today. His joy stems because of the partnership the Philippian church extended towards Christ and working alongside with him. Paul is doing his ministry with joy because the church surrounded him in the midst of his sufferings and trials, and the church cared for him. Um, true crime documentaries are all the rage right now, right? And, and, and if you ever see a documentary where they interview someone who was wrongfully convicted, where they talk about how all their friends and family had abandoned them, but no one believed in them except for that one person, that, that one individual, that, 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 that small group of people who stood by their side, you know, fighting for their release, pleading for their innocence. And they, they had nothing to gain personally, professionally, financially. They just stood by them because they were a friend. And so what's the common testimony you hear from, from those who, when they finally get released, you know, they say, like, I was able to endure. I was able to survive this trial because these people stood with me. I had the strength and perseverance to move forward and the joy even to move forward because these people were here with me. This is exactly the kind of joy that Paul is talking about. And this is the idea of standing with a friend, not based upon what they can offer you, but simply based on your love for them, your desire to support them, right? This is friendship without any kind of gain or, or benefits. This is the partnership of the gospel that Paul is highlighting here. This is the Philippian church and their posture towards Paul. If you remember, Philippi was a city that, was that, that, that actually imprisoned Christians, right? Read Acts 16 for that. They were a city that, that just earned the status of being a Roman Empire city, which means that every person who lived there gained the benefits of Roman citizenship and the privileges of a Roman lifestyle. The church in Philippi had everything to lose by being associated with Paul and this gospel that said that there was only one God and one message of salvation. So if you were the Philippian church, what choice would you make in this situation? Well, we know in this text here how Philippi responded. They were not with him just in his needs, but they were with him even in his imprisonment for the gospel and defense and confirmation of the gospel. So they didn't just visit him. They were, they were defending him. They were confirming him in public. The, this was a church that didn't shy away from things when things got hard or difficult, when things became inconvenient, when it became difficult to work through. And when you have friends such as this, for Paul, it's easy to consider his work, his ministry, even his current lot in life in prison a joy because of them. His sufferings, his trials, his imprisonment, his lonely work are not things that cause him to despair, but he knows now he can have joy because of the people who are with him along for the journey that he is on. This is the journey for the progress of the gospel to move forward. Uh, have you ever been on a trip with friends that got so comically bad that you just can't help but to laugh about it midway, right? Or you, you ever gotten lost on a hike and you're desperately trying to find like signs of civilization with friends and, and sort of no one knows where they're going or, or maybe you've been on a boat ride where torrential rainfall comes like right in the middle of it, right? I mean, those aren't like pleasant memories when you, when you look at the circumstances in isolation, but why is it that when you retell those stories, you, you can't help but to smile and, and laugh and, and think to yourself, you know, those were some of the most exciting and best times of my life. It's because you were in the struggle with someone else. 
It might not have been happy experiencing all the things that you went through, but you journeyed with a friend that you cared about. You carried their burdens. You assured them of their strength. You gave them hope. Joy is natural in the course of suffering for Paul because he knows that giving up your life for the gospel with others is the most joyous thing that you can possibly do because God's name becomes greater when we do it together. When we cry and when we weep for one another, when we shoulder each other's burdens, when you volunteer for the church, you volunteer for nursery and the children's ministry, when you serve and give sacrificially to the Afghan refugee family, when we take time to pray for others who are hurting and suffering and going through loss and pain, when we're going through tough places together, we're just uplifting more than just our friendships and our accomplishments. We're uplifting the beautiful news of the gospel that Jesus comes and saves us and Jesus comes and uplifts us so we can love each other in the way that God has loved us. And that's what leads me to my final point here. And that's the goal of friendship. For Paul, his letter to the Philippians was, yes, an expression of gratitude and joy to them personally, but, but much of this letter is an encouragement for them to continue to press on towards the goal of living for Christ. Because Christ is our great friend who has secured this goal for us. So we press on towards the goal because Christ has secured it. This is all throughout these 11 verses here today that Paul wishes for his friends in Philippi to see in our text. Look at verse 6 again. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Verses 10 and 11. That your love may abound more and more with all knowledge and discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul wants them to know that the goal of their friendship is to see Christ as the great friend and the great love of the church. You see, when Paul is talking about gratitude with thanksgiving and prayer, he's echoing Christ, who gives thanks when he feeds the 5,000, the Christ who prays for his disciples, the Christ who prays for the world. When Paul is talking about joy, Paul is echoing the sufferings of Christ himself, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross for us. Paul is demonstrating to us that our friendship, our partnership in the gospel together, when we, when we link arms, when we walk together, is the great picture of the love of Christ has for us and the love of, that Christ has for his bride, the church. Ultimately, when we reflect gratitude and joy and friendship, we are glorifying Christ's thanksgiving and Christ's joy because Christ has called us his friend. We were people who had nothing to offer Christ, there's no benefit for Christ to be associated with us, is there? And yet he brings about his mercy for us in such a way that he shows us what true friendship is. Christ shows us what true gratitude looks like. Christ shows us what true joy looks like. And in doing so, he gives us a gift of friendship that we could never earn on our own, that we could never accomplish on our own, that we could never, in our deepest accomplishments, no matter how rich we are, no matter how knowledgeable we are, we could never have earned the friendship of Christ. And he gives it to us anyways. So, um, what does this tangibly look like for us as a church today? 
Uh, last year, I got the opportunity to celebrate the wedding of my brother-in-law. And uh, there was this moment where my father-in-law goes up uh, to give uh, a speech that I would remember forever. Normally, most, uh, you know, father-in-law speeches are very hokey. They're very cheesy. You know, they're usually thrown in with a lot of bad jokes. But, but this is one that I remember. Uh, he looked at his new daughter-in-law and his son-in-law, and he said, the love that you share together in marriage, what does this now mean? And then he said this, you know, when you both grow old and gray together, a young boy is going to ask his father, watching the two of you, uh, Dad, what does this marriage symbolize? And the father will tell his son, well, do you see the way that Carter looks at Anne? Do you see how Carter sacrificially loves Anne? That picture is the same picture of how Christ loves the church, by giving his life for the church in its place so that they may have life. And do you see Anne and the way that she looks at Carter and loves him so well? That's the symbol of the way that the church sacrificially loves Christ. Their love is this picture, a symbol of the love of God working in ways that makes us to desire to love as Christ does, as Christ does, to love as the church is called to love. Well, at this point, when my father-in-law finished, you know, the bride and groom were in tears because they realized something that had come alive to them in that moment. Their marriage wasn't just about their love for each other, as important and as special and meaningful that is. Their marriage was pointing to something even greater, that the gratitude and joy in their marriage gave them the goal of helping others see the love of Christ in a rich and amazing way. Now, I would say, church, this is what Scripture is calling us to do in our friendships. That when we express gratitude and joy towards one another, we have a watching world look at us and say to themselves, how is it possible that these group of individuals can love each other like this? How is that possible that they hold each other's burdens, carry them with them? How is it possible that they stay through the throughout the difficulties and challenges and heartaches and pains of life to the detriment of their own social status, of their own financial benefit, of their own personal gain? How is it possible that they strive and press on to grow together in the wisdom and the knowledge of God? See, the gospel transforms not just the way that we think, but the way that we live in charity and faith and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control and love towards one another. See how the church loves each other. There is something in the gospel lived in that way that will make the world yearn for Jesus, isn't it? This is the fruit of righteousness in verse 11 here. That the transformed life of friendship leads us and others to see the glory of God and the love of Christ come out in real and tangible ways that we just cannot help but to just smile. Redeemer, I wish to express, and I hopefully get the chance to over the next several months, my extreme gratitude for the privilege and honor of being a pastor here. I have continued to keep you all in my prayers and I can't say enough about the joy that you have brought me in these years that I have served here. But this isn't about me. This isn't about you. This is about the way in which Christ has called each of us to remind us of daily of the grace that he has given to all of us as the church to persevere in his name. 
for all of us to continue to encourage each other, to share the gifts and graces that each and every single one of you bring to this body, that we may press on toward the race that God has called us to. Because when we do, we will find ourselves in the presence of God one day, forever together in the fullness of thanksgiving, in the fullness of gratitude, in the fullness of joy, because our joy will be made complete staring at the face of God himself, shining down on his people, our hope secure. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that Christ has called us friend. Lord, we thank you for these expressions that Christ has shown us of gratitude and joy. Lord, to give us, Lord, uh, Give us, give us a hope where words fail. To give us perseverance when our strength weakens. To give us a, a happiness and a love that, that the world can't help but wonder and look at. And Lord, may they see Jesus in this church, in the work of the gospel together. May we, we find ourselves as a church filled with gratitude and joy because of what the Lord has done for us. May we be a church that gives thanks. In the name of your Son, we pray all these things. Amen.